everybody. Welcome into this episode of In Session. My name is Colin McGuire. I am your host again for the second week in a row. We are connecting with Samantha Hogan in Annapolis. How are you, Samantha? I'm doing well. It's been a busy week. Yes, your first full week in Annapolis for this paper. How has it been? Has it been overwhelming? Um, Overwhelming is one word that you could use to describe it for sure. Um, A lot has definitely happened and the governor dropped his budget uh, today. So I'm still leafing through that all trying to unpack it for Frederick County residents. Yes, that is the big news of the week, I, I would think. The the budget, we always love going over the budget on this program. It takes hours. We're going to try to fit it into 90 seconds here, Samantha. So hopefully uh, uh, you can be concise. I'm just kidding. You can take as long as you want. Uh, I know that there was some discussion about the downtown hotel funding, perhaps, but uh, I don't know if you want to lead with that or not. Uh, so there is no do- downtown hotel funding, um, as has been the usual for Governor Hogan when he releases his budget. Um, last year, we did see the delegation um, throw in $5 million um, into the capital budget at the last minute, um, which is still being held on to by the Board of Public Works, which the governor also sits on. He, the comptroller, and the treasurer would have to agree to release those funds. Um, so So it was not really a surprise that we didn't see any funding put up front for it. Doesn't mean that it won't appear over the next 74 days as the um, legislator has the opportunity to review and change and kind of finagle some of the numbers. Um, But some of the uh, so. Um, I did reach out to uh, our delegation chair, who's Carol Krim, who said that she was disappointed, but she still supports the downtown hotel project and is going to continue to work it through the process. Um, I also spoke with her vice uh, delegation chair, who is Senator um, Michael Huff, and he has you know, historically not supported the project, but he's really willing to let the city and other proponents for the project come into the delegation, make their pitch again. They have three new members, um, and he's he said he would love for this to have a fair hearing, um, but you know, it's not his opinion at this time that state uh, funds should be used for the project. Um, how our three new members feel about the project is still up in the air. I'm still waiting to hear from them, but hopefully we'll have more for you either this weekend or um, in the coming week on that. Um, But I did want to go over some other highlights because there are definitely some wins in the budget for Frederick County. Um, States and, I'm sorry, the counties and municipalities can expect to see about a 10% increase to highway user revenues, which I know is a big deal for our municipalities. Um, I covered Thermont for many a year, and they were always talking about how um, highway user revenues have gone down and how they desperately need it for road projects. So I think that a lot of municipalities in the county is going to be happy to hear that there is some increased funding coming their way. Um, We also can expect $6.9 billion devoted to K-12. Hogan is really singing this as an accomplishment. It's the highest amount of education funding that the state has ever had. That is something that governors are able to claim every single year as long as they you know, meet the minimum funding formula requirements. Um, So take that with a grain of salt. But there are some, you know, smaller wins in there. Um, We're going to see some construction money uh, for schools come forward. And there's also going to be $200 million set aside for recommendations coming out of the Kerwin Commission, which is the state commission on excellence and innovation in education. 
they are still trying to come up with their final recommendations, but that is something that people are really looking forward to and think should be a big thing for education in Maryland. We can also expect $3.3 billion to be invested in transportation. And in Frederick County alone, that's actually going to have a direct impact. If you let me flip to that page in the budget, um, I can tell you specifically that um, Frederick can expect to see $40 million for traffic relief uh, plans along I-270 and I-495. And then we can also expect some congestion mitigation projects to the tune of $32.2 million in I-270 in Frederick and Montgomery counties. Um, There's also a proposed $14.8 million for an interchange uh, at MD-85 and I-270 in Frederick County, and an additional $3.9 million to reconstruct the Maryland 180 bridge um, over US-15 and US-340 in Frederick County. So, I mean, that's four projects alone that are definitely going to have an impact on commuters and drivers in Frederick County. So I think that's uh, something to definitely pay attention to. Um, something to also note, though, is that the General Assembly is waiting for a pre-solicitation report when it comes to I-270 and I-495. And I think we're going to see a much larger discussion going on about what kind of construction projects they're allowed to do there. So I don't know if you want to jump in. I've said a lot. Um, I could say a lot more about what's hidden away in this budget. Um, yeah. Any initial thoughts, Colin? <laughs> um, well, I'm, you know, going back to the the transportation stuff, I'm kind of interested that it seems there isn't much allocated for Route 15, which is a pretty congested place here in around Frederick. Was there any discussion of, or has there been any discussion about 15? Definitely at the delegation level, and you are also hearing it from County Executive Jan Gardner that they're going to be pushing for um, US 15 money for sure, especially through the four exit stretch um, through the city of Frederick. I don't have an update on where that funding is going to be, but as the General Assembly gets to you know dive into the budget, um, I would expect some discussions on that to definitely come up. And it would fit in with what the governor is proposing in regards to congestion relief and you know getting motorists moving on the road. Um, He sees that as a way to also address greenhouse gas reductions, which has kind of been the pushback that he's received um, for defunding the the red line out in Baltimore City. You know, people pushing for mass transit when he's pushing for getting cars moving. So there's definitely a debate there. And I think that we could spend an entire podcast just talking about transportation if we wanted to. Um, Another local project, though, that I did want to bring up is that the city of Brunswick is actually going to be getting um, some substantial help from the state um, in this budget, in the capital budget as it stands. Um, It's expected to get nearly $500,000 for a new emergency operations center as well as two $100,000 grants um, to help it repair some issues that it had following the floods um, last spring. And that's going to, one of them is going to help with a stormwater tunnel that goes actually physically under the city for a portion of it before it goes to the CNO Canal and the Potomac River. Ultimately, um, that's going to cover potentially half the cost of that. And then another one is uh, to build a new public works building. Um, They had a major flood and they are not comfortable putting equipment back in there the mold control that they have to do afterwards is quite uh costly so um david dudden um who's the city manager over there was very happy to see that that money was going to be in the budget um and that that was going to be moving forward 
Moving on, I know that you and uh, Wyatt worked on a story this week that you wanted to talk about, our religion reporter, Wyatt. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So the governor earlier this week, before he came out with his full budget, did make some initial announcements about $5 million that he was uh, setting aside for security enhancements. Uh, $3 million of that is for houses of worship um, of any denomination. And then another for uh, $2 million for uh, safety in schools, whether they be public, private, non-public. And so um, we did uh, reach out to a lot of faith leaders um, in the community and talk to them about, you know, how they're feeling security-wise and what they're having to do in light of some national shootings that have occurred both in churches and in schools. I think a lot of us have seen this kind of coverage, and Frederick County has been lucky to have not experienced any of these, but I don't think our communities are immune to the fear that it instills. So we did speak with several, um, how they've been working with um, local law enforcement, or they've also been, you know, applying for grants. And it turns out that the mother seat in school is one of the schools that will be granted um, a portion of the first million dollars that had been made available this fiscal year to improve security um, at their school. And that money is actually going to double to two million. Like I had just said, the governor um, plans to put two million towards uh, school safety upgrades. And that's part of a broader school safety bill that I'm sure that you guys talked a lot about last uh, session. Yeah, yeah. So there I mean, this is a whole lot of stuff that that is going down. And we haven't even gotten through a third of what we're hoping to talk about thus far. Right, Samantha? This is... I know there's uh, lots more to talk about, because actually the um, governor was inaugurated this. Yes. This week on Wednesday, um, he and uh, Jeb Bush, who ran for president and um, his great uh, gra- <laughs> Governor Hogan's Jeb. granddaughter, who led us in the Pledge of Allegiance, um, all gathered outside uh, the State House uh, for the inaugural ceremonies. Did Jeb bring his exclamation point? Jeb, um, he didn't, but he definitely speaks oh. with an explanation point. <laughs> <laughs> so this sounds like a star-studded affair. It was definitely. I mean, it had a flyover of jets. There was um, the Navy glee uh choir that was there there was an orchestra it was it was cold but it was definitely worth it to be there and see all the pomp and circumstance (laughs) so this was this your first inauguration well this was my first maryland state inauguration i did um Mm -hmm. attend uh a federal inauguration when um uh, President Barack Obama was reelected for his second term, and I was in college down in D.C., so I did freeze for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the weather hasn't been kind for these types of these no, it hasn't. But gatherings. luckily, he you know it snowed during uh, uh, Governor Hogan's first inauguration, so he we we got the gap in the snow this time. It snowed obviously um, last night, and it's going to snow again uh, this weekend. Um, but it was it was amazing to actually be there and to experience inauguration. I think it was definitely great. Um, listening to his uh, speech, the governor got really emotional. Um, and you know about the public figures that he has respected, and part of the reason Jeb Bush had been invited to speak was because George H. W. Bush was um, definitely a leader that um, Hogan has looked to in his uh, public service as an example. Um, And then he also spoke in depth about his father, who he shares a name with, who is Lawrence Hogan, who had served as a congressman for the 5th District in 
uh, Maryland during the Watergate hearings. And he talked just about how his father, you know, broke kind of with party lines and uh, voted for impeachment um, and how that ultimately lost him the party's nomination when he went to run again, but it gave him a clear conscience. And that kind of really underscored this deeper message of bipartisanship that he was trying to share. Um, And you know, uh, some have questioned whether he has always been bipartisan. He kind of shrugged that off um, when he was questioned about it on Thursday and said that he doesn't really feel that he's evolved as a politician, that he's always been bipartisan. Um, But I think we do see a bit of partisan politics even now starting to creep out inside the General Assembly. There, I I, I know there's been a lot of national attention about letters that Nancy Pelosi and uh, President Donald Trump have been sending back and forth about the shutdown and the the State of the Union address and her travels abroad. But we actually had a letter of our own released in Maryland by uh, Senate Democrats who were appealing to President Donald Trump to end the shutdown on behalf of the, of the few hundred thousand federal workers that we have here in Maryland. And they did not reach out to their Republican colleagues in the Senate to sign this. It was 28 Democrats who signed on to this letter alone. Um, so whether that was partisan uh, politicking, as uh, Senator Michael Huff said to me, or if this was just um, the Democrats advocating on behalf of federal workers, as Senator Ron Young told me, you know, I guess it's up to the person reading the situation to decide. Yeah. In years past, uh, we, we always kind of talk about how early in the session, everybody appears to be optimistic and uh, bipartisan and all of that. But with the shutdown going on now, this was the first full week. Did, did it? Did you get a sense that that everybody was trying to work together, or you know, as you just said, talking to to Michael Huff, perhaps uh, battle lines have already been drawn. I guess it's hard to say. You know, it, 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 there's always a line in the sand for some people, and you know, but how deep that sand is, and is it is, is that line, or is it a trench? You know, between them, I think it depends on the topic. I think that there mm-hmm. is definitely a shared view that there's dysfunction in Washington right now, but then there's also some unwillingness to see it in the Maryland General Assembly amongst its own members. I think it's easy to see it as partisan when someone else is doing it, but is it partisan when you? you yourself are doing it. So definitely people want to work across the aisle. I'm definitely seeing that. I'm seeing people want to listen, want to engage. When it comes down to votes, will we see that same kind of willingness? I'm not sure. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that as well as bills. We love talking about bills on this show. Uh, Our producer Graham is smiling right now because he thinks I'm going to make a joke that I make every year, but I'm not going to do it because nobody likes the joke. Uh, Bills finally came out or at least they were discussed this week. What give us give us the lowdown, everything you have to say about bills, including Bill Green. Okay, I made the joke. <laughs> our our intrepid photographer that I wish was down in uh Annapolis with me. I miss Bill. Um, But no, so the Senate has actually been moving the paper bills that uh, the senators have been putting in. Um, They they have seen some progress and they've moved several along. The House of Democrat uh, delegates has been a little slower in its uh, movement of the bills. Um, Senator Ron Young, of course, was our uh, first member of the Frederick County delegation to actually submit bills and have it go to hearings. Um, His first two bills 
which both deal with income tax, um, made it to hearings today in front of, uh, sorry, this week in front of the Senate Budget and Taxation Committee. Um, I was able to listen to those. Um, he was met with a little bit of silence from the committee, and that was um, to be expected, perhaps. Um, his income tax bill that would re- uh, give some relief and some deductions to senior citizens is something that he puts in every single year and really hasn't gone far. He's taken a slightly different approach this time. Whether this is really going to go anywhere, he even admits is he's uncertain. He's really just trying to prompt a conversation. However, he does have better hope for his income tax relief for cannabis uh, growers, processors, dispensaries, and independent testing laboratories that have come out to him and essentially asked him to provide some state income tax relief to them so that they can deduct their normal business expenses before paying taxes. They're um, the only industry that is not able to currently do this, and this is tied to some deeper federal um, tax laws because federally uh, marijuana is still recognized as an illegal substance, but Maryland has legalized it for medical purposes. So they're seeing Seems to potentially be some interest, he said, amongst the committee members. He didn't have a read on everyone um, as of Friday, um, but he is hopeful that this could potentially move forward and uh, this growing industry in Maryland uh, could get some uh, tax relief. Um, It's not creating any new tax loopholes, though, for them. It's really just bringing them in line with all other businesses on what they're able to deduct before taxes. Hmm. That that's interesting. I also, uh, I mean, I think we talked, we touched on this briefly last week, but it's something that I'm keeping an eye on, and that would be sports betting here in, in Maryland because I'm a degenerate gambler. Uh, and from what you said, the governor said the odds are good that this will occur this session. Yes. Um, so after his budget briefing, he was taking cl- uh, questions from the media and someone asked him what the probability of uh, Maryland moving forward with some kind of sports betting this uh, year. He said that he actually thought it would have been accomplished last year. Of course, we're dealing with election year politics then. Um, but he did say that the odds were good that this session that something would happen with it. Um, there was a Supreme Court case that ruled that uh, sports betting laws could change nationally. We've seen a couple of states move forward with it. Um, the Department of Legislative Services has given it some initial financial looks at it. Um, and so, yeah, I would expect this to be something. I'm not positive how controversial it's going to be. Um, it, it, yeah, it might have a good chance of, of something being passed and us allowing um, some kind of sports betting inside the state. That would be so good. I wouldn't have to drive to Charlestown after work today if that was the case. <laughs> do you go to the horse track race? <laughs> I do, yes. I love the horses over oh, there. Oh, I've really been there do. only once, and I only bet $5. Um, <laughs> did, did you win, though? Did you win? I think we spent $5. I like pooled it with $5 with a bunch of friends, and I think we oh, walked away okay. with nothing in hand, but we lost nothing oh. either. So, <laughs> you know, $5 short. That's okay. Yeah, um, one that's thing I did day. want to bring up, though, is that there's another interesting bill that I'm just starting to look into Um, And it comes from Delegate Learman, um, and it's about ranked choice voting and open primaries um, in Baltimore City. This would only be for their uh, local elections um, for mayor, president of the city council, comptroller, and the members of the city council. Um, But essentially, it would allow them to do two things, which is to allow them to have an open primary or a jungle primary, as it's referred to in California, where this this system is currently in uh, in place. And what that would do would allow any registered 
voter, regardless of party affiliation, to vote for any candidate who is seeking office rather than the strict, um, if you're a registered Republican, you can vote in the Republican primary. If you are a Democrat, you can only vote in the Democratic primary. Um, and then they would also um, do ranked choice voting, which does make your ballot longer, but it allows you to rank the candidates in order of preference. So instead of just voting for the person that you want, you get to rank the candidates down the line, one, two, three, four. And uh, the tabulation process is a sequential round in which candidates with the smallest number of votes are defeated, and then the candidate with the largest number of votes in the final round is elected. Um, so it's a little bit more of a complicated system. It's something that... Um, maybe Maryland residents aren't really familiar with, um, but it is something that's picked up national attention um, in other states as it's been implemented. And I think it would be interesting to see where this bill goes. Last time I checked, it did not have a cross file in the Senate. So that does make an uphill battle, but it already received a uh, hearing uh, in the House. So um, we'll have to see. I, I, that's something I definitely want to keep an eye on. Yeah, they're going to turn it into the college football poll every week. This is so... Uh ridiculous to rank them like that i don't know how i feel would definitely keep an eye on that well we'll talk about that every week well i want to i want to see where that ends up because i don't I don't know. That That's odd. Yeah. And actually, the state um, Republican Party has come out very strongly against this already, which is actually what brought my attention to the bill. Um, and so they have an online petition that um, as of Thursday, they had only put it up on Monday, had 900 signatures against uh, moving forward with this kind of ranked choice voting and open primary system. So hmm. um, I, the opposition definitely is strong, though there are people that are very much so in support of moving towards this kind of a election system. Um, you know, Maryland's election system now is imperfect. We saw that on election night when they ran out of ballots in some of the jurisdictions and they were supposed to hold up the announcement of, you know, races everywhere. And we were calling some races. We weren't. We were still waiting. Polls were still open. So I think that makes people leery when there's issues with an existing simpler system. But is that enough for us to not innovate? Um, we'll have to see. Yeah, the the ranking. So, for instance, just off the top of my head, if you had a candidate who had 50 first place votes and 100 second place votes and another candidate who had 100 first place votes, but 200 second place votes, would the second place, you know, does that... Is that how this And I'm not work? an expert. I wish I was. <laughs> I, you know, I, I read about it in, in, in bits and spurts. Um, I think this would be a great thing to bring an expert on to talk about. And hopefully we can definitely bring some more yes. nuanced information to readers and to listeners uh, soon. I just wanted to let you guys know that I was following this and that this is something that's interesting. It's called Ranked Choice Voting. If you want to look it up online and start doing some of your research on your own, but we'll definitely have more information for you, hopefully even next week. Yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. So uh, what are you working on for uh, this weekend or perhaps tomorrow's paper? What can we look forward to reading? Yeah, so actually something that we haven't touched upon yet is that the Frederick County delegation did meet this morning and they uh, were voting on several alcohol bills that the local liquor board has brought to them. And um, a majority of them are going to move forward that they were interested in. But the one that I think most of our readers um, have been interested in and myself and my colleagues 
colleague Cameron Dodd, who usually covers the liquor board, have been interested in was that there was an attempt to make a new separate license specifically for co-opt owned grocery stores to allow them to sell beer, wine, and liquor. Now, Common Market is the... Um, grocery store that has proposed this um, the liquor board's initial proposal for defining mom and pop and small business grocery stores um, which is a wider um, demographic inside the county was initially rejected um, pretty quickly off the bat by the delegation and they were going to move forward and draft uh, this specific tightly co-op license um, for the common market. Um, after looking it over today, though, they decided that this was not something that the delegation wanted to move forward with this year. Um, Karen, uh, Delegate Karen Lewis-Young um, uh, did motion to move forward with it, but it didn't receive a second. We didn't get any kind of official vote. So I don't have everyone's opinion on it. Um, but I spoke with delegation chair, um, delegate Karen Lewis, Young, uh, sorry, <laughs> Carol Krim, um, afterwards. And she said it was just clear that it was not the will of the delegation to move forward with this. Um, it's something though, that I definitely think that we could see come up again, if common market remains interested in receiving some kind of beer and wine license. Um, but this is something that might happen after the session and something that they bring forward to the 2020 session. Is there anything coming up uh, next week in Annapolis that you have your eye on that you are excited for? Oh my goodness, I've been so caught up with the budget that I haven't even had a chance to look <laughs> ahead to the schedule. But I, I oh, like I said, okay. I'm going to be looking at ranked choice voting. I'm hoping to speak mm -hmm. um, with the delegate that put that forward. Um, uh, we also have some bills that have reached the hopper from Senator Michael Huff. So I'm hoping to bring you guys an update on those. And uh, Delegate Karen Lewis-Young also said that she was going to be dropping her first three bills today. So I'm expecting those to come up as well. Um, there's some stuff on um, not allowing um, minors to use sun um, tanning beds. Um, I personally have never been in one. Um, my father had melanoma skin cancer, so I was always told no, no, no. Don't even go near those, but I'm interested to see what she has on that, as well as her patient bill of rights is going to be coming back out. Um, so those are going to be some two hot topics, I think, in, um, in health that we're definitely going to be following for you guys. And then finally, of course, uh, I understand this week when it comes to something you have eaten in Annapolis you actually had a caffeinated drink that was pretty I finally good. did after you uh, shamed me last week for bringing my meals which I did again this week I did try a macchiato at City Dock Cafe and it was a little bit over four dollars and it wasn't Ooh, exactly what I was thinking <laughs> it was going to be because I think I go to Starbucks too often and have been used to like what a latte is rather than a more classic macchiato but I will say mm -hmm. It, despite not being what I expected it to be, I, it was quite good and it did get me like ramped up and ready to go so I could file my three stories that day. So um, yeah, I, I thought That's it was good. pretty good. And I'm, I'm excited because there's another place called the Red Bean that I was also considering. So maybe that will be my next caffeine stop. That will be good. Hopefully it won't be $4, though. $4 seems like so much money for coffee. I know, but anytime you want to craft, like, coffee, I feel like that's the price range now that things are. That's why we limit ourselves. I 
can't do that <laughs> every single <laughs> week for sure or every single day. So That's true. We could just expense it. We'll put it under Graham's expense account. Uh, oh, Graham's, not even yeah. mine. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Is that, a, is that a podcast expense? <laughs> yeah, a podcast expense. We're going to do that and new microphones for everybody. Uh, you have a Twitter account. Uh, how can people follow you if they want to stay up to date on everything? Yeah, if they want to follow me, it's S-A Hogan, H-O-G-A-N. Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, and I tweet fairly regularly. So, um, <laughs> And then always check us out online at thefredericknewspost.com and see the stories that are coming out and just stay up to date with us and we'll try and keep you up to date here. Indeed. Thank you so much for your time, Samantha. We'll talk to you next week. Awesome. See you then.